So what do you want to do? You want to lead us through this, or should we just kind of chat and start the podcast and sip through these I, as we go? No, no, I think we you, should. You, you, you guide me. I think we should just sip them as we go. Just yeah, kinda... you, you, you tell me when you're ready for something, and I'll, I'm your dancing monkey. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> hey, everyone. We had a good streak of podcasts, and we're going to keep them coming along. We've been working to get today's guest on for over six months. We were first introduced to Joe over email after we wrapped up recording episode 47 with Andrea Wilson, who is making her move up the chain over at Michter's. Joe comes from humble beginnings, so it's really a pleasure to see how he has built this brand over the years. We're glad to have more folks from Michter's on the podcast, and we'll be getting to work with Pam Hyman, the master distiller at Michter's, to get her on the show as soon as we can. If you haven't done so, we are really gonna need to follow us and like us on Facebook because we are doing a bourbon pursuit first and giving away a barrel head. Yes, the folks over at Michter's and their parent company, Chatham Imports, have given us a Michter's Barrelhead for you to win and adorn the walls of your lovely home. Head on over to facebook.com slash bourbonpursuit, find the giveaway, and enter it. Entries will end on August 4th, so like our page and comment on which expression of Michter's is your favorite or the one that you would love to try. For me, I think the 25 years on my bourbon bucket list borderline the celebration bottle. Who knows? Maybe one day. Remember, if you like the show, support us on Patreon, and thank you to all those who are supporting us at $10 a month and sporting your limited edition Bourbon Pursuit t-shirt all around the country. Also, please write on iTunes reviews for us. It is the best possible way to give back to this show and help it grow. With that, enjoy this week's episode. And they're off for another Gift 270-2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at Give270.org. Charitable Gaming License ORG 0002703. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or TheBourbonConcierge.com and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. Do you ever pour yourself a bourbon, swirl it around, and then start struggling to come up with tasting notes? And perhaps you're also looking for a good Father's Day gift idea. 
Well, you can now solve both with a kit from Nose Your Bourbon. And unlike other nosing kits on the market, Nose Your Bourbon kits feature real ingredients for the most authentic aromas. You can smell real Tahitian vanilla bean instead of some synthetic aroma that's just made from chemicals. So head on over to NoseYourBourbon.com and enter code BP10 for 10% off your order. Welcome back to the episode of the Bourbon Pursuit Podcast, the official podcast of bourbon. This is going to be an exciting one because, you know, we've got a we've got the business side. We've got a head honcho on today, right? I think this is this is going to be fun for us. What do you think, Ryan? Yeah, I'm super excited. We're here at Mictors again. Uh, we were here, what was it, about a year ago, and we talked to Andrea, learned a lot about the Mictors story. I'm, I'm interested to hear the business aspect and how it got revived and brought back, but uh Mictors is one of those brands, you know, is around for a long time and then it kind of went away, but it's, you know, they kind of saw, Joe probably saw the the bourbon industry coming back and was able to get ahead and take advantage of age stock. And I'm really excited to just kind of hear his story and uh, see how he got into this and look at where we are today. Absolutely. So with that, let's go ahead and introduce our guest. So our guest today is Joseph Malioko. So anybody that goes to- Malioko. Joseph, <laughs> Malioko.com, you're going to end up saying it wrong. It's Malioko. So Joe, welcome to the show today. It's just great to be here, Kenny. Great to be here, Ryan. Yeah. Thank you very much for having me. So I just want to make sure I have your, your title correct, because I know you are the, the CEO of Chatham Imports, but what are you entitled uh, of uh, when it comes to the Michter side I, of the house? I'm president of Michter's. Um, you know, Chatham Imports, uh, which is based in New York, is a parent company of Michter's, uh, and I work as uh, president of Chatham as well as president of Michter's, and I go back and forth between uh, New York and Kentucky. Which one do you like better? I love <laughs> <No>. them both. <laughs> okay. I, love them, I love them both to death. Yeah, you sound like you're born and bred in New York, right? I don't sound like a Barstown guy, do I? <laughs> no, no, <laughs> so, absolutely not. <laughs> so I, I kind of let's 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 rewind a little bit because I want to kind of talk about your beginning and sure. uh, you know kind of how you carved your path through life. Uh, you know, people might be able to read because you do have your own Wikipedia page. I mean, you're one of the few people we've we've interviewed yeah. that have their own. He's but, a Yale grad. I know that. Yeah. So I kind of want to talk about your history and let's let's document it a little bit real quick. <laughs> Uh, well, I grew up in Brooklyn, um, and when I grew up in Brooklyn, it was not hipster Brooklyn. You're, <laughs> you're kind of ashamed to say you're in Brook- from Brooklyn when I was there. Uh, it's quite different than it is now. It was always a great place, but just not 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 very stylish in those days. A lot more skinny jeans now in Brooklyn. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Cupcakes. Yes. Lots of cupcake places. Yeah. 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 And, and, and Brooklyn, Brooklyn is, is, is fantastic. And um, Anyway, so I, I grew up in Brooklyn, uh, went to school in Brooklyn. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, just, just sort of had a typical nice childhood. I was very lucky. Mm-hmm. And then, so talk about schooling and kind of how you carved your way into like the, just the, the spirits. spirits. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as, as a little guy, I, I went to a uh, school that was called Berkeley. Uh, and, uh, just Berkeley some no name school like Berkeley, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and then, and then, and then, uh, and then, um, um, then I, I went to another school called Poly Prep, uh, in Brooklyn, another Brooklyn school. Uh, went there from, uh, fifth grade through, uh, senior high school. Uh, it was great. Had a lot of great friends there. Um, and then uh, education-wise, I went on to uh, college. Uh, I went on to Yale, uh, which I adored. Um, and uh, when I was at Yale, I bartended. 
uh, and that was a lot of fun. Because um, how else do you get through college, yeah, right? I mean, that's exactly, everybody's, exactly, it's everybody's exactly. Life, life dream to say, exactly. like, oh, I want to work at a bar, and then I want to graduate and open a bar, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it, it was really great. And my, my, my favorite thing was, well, the, I, had, I had one of the best jobs in the world because in those days, you know, people didn't expect you to have perfect ice, and people didn't expect <laughs> you to, like, flame a piece of wood to smoke their uh, uh, Manhattans. Uh, in those days, a complicated drink was a screwdriver, you know. There wasn't any mix there was no mixology. Well, the, mix, mixolo- mixology was uh, scotch uh, added soda. Yeah. And that was like mixology in those days, or Kahlua and milk was pretty complicated. Um, so it was easy and um, uh, loved, loved getting tips in college. So how'd you get so. from uh, serving the drinks to stocking the bar at the, you know, to provide those drinks? To stocking the bar? Well, providing or, or, all the booze, I guess. <laughs> Where uh, we well, are uh, now. Okay. Uh, no, so, uh, well, I... I you know, and then then I went I went from uh, college to law school. Um, I I I grew up basically uh, in the wine and spirits business, uh, very much so. My da- my dad Tony was uh, uh, was a, a spirits and wine uh, distributor and importer, um, um, and so I kind of grew up. I worked summer vacations. I worked as a little kid, uh, you know, helping in the office. I uh, worked in the warehouse. I was a helper on a truck. Uh, summer vacations, Christmas vacations. Um, and actually the first sales job I ever had was also during college. First sales job I ever had uh, was actually selling mictors. Um, and in those days it was the Pennsylvania mictors. Mm-hmm. Cool. So that's kind of where I, and I'm actually glad that you say mictors because I, I, I hear so many people butchered all the time, <laughs> probably like your last name, right? And they say yes. like, they say like mishters or mickners or something like that, right? So. You are, you are not, you're not the only one. Our, our master still emeritus, Willie Pratt, who I adore, uh, always calls it mitchters. Mitchers, yeah. Uh, and, and, but, uh, <laughs> you I, cringe? I, I mean, I, I, no, I, have, I have too much respect for mm-hmm. Willie to ever, ever, ever even try to begin to correct him on anything. He's the best. Um, but, um, um, and it's funny, a lot of people really think that Michter's is a German name because it sounds German to a lot of Americans. Actually, uh, Lou Foreman, who was running it at the time, uh, had two children, Michael and Peter. Uh, and when they changed the name of the Pennsylvania distillery, he put together Michael and Peter and got Michter's. Right. <laughs> so I think that's a that's a good segue because I kind of want to talk a little about the history because, I mean, I was even last night, I was Googling and sleuthing. Yeah. It. It's just, it's a, sure. it's, we know the Michter's today, but not yeah, there's, there's the Michter's of the past. There is a fuzzy history, right? So I guess kind of talk about, um, you know, where it kind of started because, uh, you know, we've seen Shanks, I've seen Penco, I've seen sure. Bombargers and all these things. And sure. kind of talk about like how it led up to the point of when people, they try to categorize old Michters and new Michters. Yeah. I'm um, basically, you know, Michters has a really, I, I think a fascinating legacy. Um, and, um, you know, uh, it goes back to 1753. Uh, the legacy traces back. It wasn't called Michter's in those days. It was Schenck's. Uh, John Schenck, who was a Swiss Mennonite farmer, founded it in 1753. Um, and um, um, obviously, you know, that part of the country was not bourbon country in those days. It was rye because um, rye was very plentiful. Um, in the Northeast and, and especially in Pennsylvania. And uh, uh, they used to call them the Scots-Irish settlers because the Scottish and Irish intermarried a lot and obviously liked whiskey. Um, and they made some really good rye. Um, and uh, uh, so it was Shanks in the 1700s. Um, you know, it, it, it was renamed, uh, the Shaverstown, Pennsylvania distillery was renamed uh, Bombergers in the 1800s. Um, and then uh, going into the, uh, uh, I believe it was the 1950s, um, that's when uh, Lou Foreman and his partners uh, changed the uh, name again. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, that's what you, you need to change the lighter. <laughs> uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Oh, there Looks like we just have to move. Motion, move. Motion move. Motion move. Sorry about that. We're too still. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> we're, 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 we're. No, it's all good. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's what I, like I said, I, I tried finding as much as I, I could just because there was, there was all this, all this stuff. And then like, there was also like a legendary run that came out of, of, uh, one of those at the time that was like the A.H. Hirsch and all this other kind of stuff. Like what was, what was A.H. Hirsch? Because we haven't really touched on that in this podcast. I, you know? I am honestly really not, you know, um, th- there's a wonderful book that Chuck uh, Cattery wrote mm-hmm. uh, on the subject. And I would really, I mean, I mean, Chuck is a great writer and knows so much about, you know, whiskey, especially right. American whiskey <laughs> in general. Um, I, I think that is probably uh, the best uh, source of information for anybody that wants to uh, know about uh, A.H. Hirsch. Um, but I, 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 I really can't say that I'm an expert on it at oh, all. That's fine. But I, I can't, let's talk about, like, why did why did Michter's have a decline, you know, the old Michter's, right? Like, what was what was the reason it, it, I mean, of course, we just said, like, you know, bourbon wasn't popular, right? Especially Pennsylvania rye or Pennsylvania uh, in general. So kind of talk about, you know, like, why did it shut down? Like was there you was know, there debts or was you know, was it? I, I again, <clears throat> I I I had sold my my first job and was probably around d- during college uh, summer, uh, probably around 1978. My job was to close out fifty thousand dollars. This is 1978 dollars, a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, fifty thousand dollars worth of Michter's gold plated King Tut minis. Um, and um, uh, in those days, nobody wanted them. And uh, uh, if eBay had only been invented 50 years earlier, <laughs> right. I would have had an easy time. It wasn't. Um, uh, and nobody wanted them. Um, but but um, so I was familiar with the whiskey. You know, I, I actually, you know, I drank Michter's in the 70s and the 80s. Um, and um, uh, it, it was really good stuff. But, you know, in general, you know, uh, there was a time period when the industry kind of went through really the equivalent of a, of a brown goods depression. Um, it was really, really, really bad. You know, when I, when I got out of law school in 82, I started working, I you know, took the bar exam, fortunately passed, I started working full time in the business. Um, one of my first bosses was a guy, uh, RC, known as friends as Charlie Wells. Charlie had been president of Four Roses, uh, and so he obviously you know, learned a lot about whiskey from him. But I remember we were driving down I-95 one day, and um, there's a funeral procession coming the other way. And Charlie says, Joe, there goes another one of our brown goods customers. <laughs> um, it was really bad. I mean, I mean, you know, when you were selling, selling you know, American whiskey in those days, uh, you were doing a great job if you were down just a little bit less than the other guy. It was a very different environment than now. And, you know, and... and you know, this is this is this is. It's a wonderful industry. It's a wonderful business, but even in a burgeoning, growing market like now, it's not an easy business. And um, I, I think that you know, I think that there were a lot of casualties during that you know time. It was very rough for brown goods, and unfortunately, you know, Pennsylvania Michters failed. They actually declared bankruptcy in 1989. Mm-hmm. And then, so at what point did you pick it up? Right, like in I. I was I was working um, with with Chatham in New York uh, in the 1990s, and um, one of my mentors, um, who I really respect a lot, I've been very fortunate to work with some really good people, um, and continue to be fortunate to work with some really good people. We have great people here at Michter's. Um, uh, one of my one of my mentors in the business was an older gentleman, Dick Newman. Uh, Dick had run Old Taylor, Old Crow, and Old Grandad for National Distillers, a very big company in those days. Um, and he went on from there 
um, uh, to become president of Austin Nichols, another great company, while Turkey. Mm-hmm. Um, so Dick knew, you know, Kentucky super well. And basically, you know, I, I was speaking to Dick. Uh, Dick was sort of to keep busy, was doing some consulting work in, in, uh, a, a, when he got older. Um, and I asked Dick to consult for me at Chatham. And he was, again, was a dear friend and mentor. And I said, Dick, you know, I really think that American whiskey is so good. I think it's going to come back at some point. And I said, specifically rye. Um, and I said, you know, they're really, it's, it, they're really, if you like rye whiskey, there really aren't a lot of choices you can go to a store and buy. It was very limited in those days. It was nothing like it is right now. Um, and, well, um, I mean, it's still what, kind of limited, right? I mean, yeah. I think well, most, no, it is. Even, it is. even today, people are, people are saying that the rye boom is putting everybody in a shortage well, too, right? So. And why did you think that? Why were you like, American whiskey is going to come back? What, what did you see? Well, yeah, what was your crystal ball? I, I, it, it, it was... It was luck. Um, it was luck. It was a hunch. Um, I liked whiskey. You know, like I said, I used to drink Michter's and some other great whiskeys uh, uh, during college when I was bartending. Um, um, I just thought that I just thought that there would be people that really wanted stuff with flavor. And also, too, you know, there's a term in finance, you know, reversion to the mean. You know, when the market is terrible, you know, uh, rarely does it stay terrible forever. When the market is booming, you know, it doesn't necessarily boom forever. You know, things sort of come back and seek their own level. And, you know, American whiskey was enjoyed by Americans and, and really so popular for just so long. Um, that that I kind of thought that at some point, you know, even though things look pretty bleak, that things would come back. And I also thought that eventually, a segment of the market. And again, remember, you know, we're we're a, you know we're a little company. We're not a big. We're not a you know a, a massive company with massive market share. We're little. Um, and so so if you're a smaller company, even if you get, you know, w- what to somebody else is a very small amount of market share. You know, could be a big success and, and a really nice little business for a small company. And it was my hope that there would be a segment of the marketplace that really wanted flavor and wanted really flavorful whiskeys. You know, uh, I, I have older friends in the industry, friends I've worked with. You know, they tell me about, okay, well, you know, at one point, you know, uh, people were doing clear whiskey to try to compete with vodka and they were li- doing light whiskeys and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And, you know, I kind of just had a feeling that not I, I, I did not anticipate what has happened over the past 20 years since then, but I did think that there would be at least a sub-segment of the market that really would appreciate and value, you know, flavor and high-quality, you know, well-made whiskeys. Um, and, and, that, that, and again, it was just a hunch. I've had a lot of other hunches that have been totally wrong. Well, and also, too, I guess at that time you go through the whiskey glut and there's tons of, you know, stock sitting around that nobody wanted. Yeah, <laughs> and I mean, that you, you're, Brian, you were so right. Um, you know, the environment then, you know, we're talking about the mid-90s and, and um, you know, the environment then was the opposite of what it is right now. Right now, uh, you know, people are tight on whiskey, on American whiskey. Uh, it's growing in popularity in the U.S. It's growing in popularity abroad. And, you know, people are looking to increase capacity rather than sell stuff off. And um, the market was totally different then. And we, we've gone through what I call three phases of production at Michter's. 
Um, and if you don't mind, I, I talk yeah, just briefly ahead. about that, you know, because that, that really was part, you mentioned part of it, the, the business side of it. You know, a lot of people, even people that love whiskey, don't always realize how capital intensive the business part of it is. And, 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 you know, what you really need to do your own distillery. Um, and, and we didn't have the money to do it. Um, so so we, we went really in three phases. The first phase, phase one of, of, of bringing back Michter's, um, we sourced goods that we had nothing to do with making it. We sourced it. It was already made stuff. That was our phase one stuff. And in, that, in those days, you know, Dick, obviously, Dick was a great guy and, and, and had lots of friends in, in, in Kentucky. Um, and um, uh, and it's just, it's just aside, uh, an aside, um, um, I was on a panel with Jimmy Russell, who I adore. Um, and Jimmy said to me at, at the end of the panel, Jimmy said, Joe, you're the Mictors guy. I said, yes, yes, talk about Mictors, Jimmy. <laughs> yeah. We've been here, said, I've been yeah, here with yeah. you on and the panel then, all day. Said, yeah, Joe, you're, you're, you're the Mictors guy. And he says, you know, Dick Newman sent me, when I was at Wild Turkey, Dick and Dick was president, Dick sent me to do a due diligence on Mictors in the 70s. And I recommended strongly that we not buy it because of, and he, then he gave me this incredibly brilliant, <laughs> detailed summary with, I mean, I don't know how this guy remembers these details. I mean, God bless him, he's, he, he's a treasure. I don't know how he remembers these details from the 1970s. You know, it was stuff that like, you know, I would have had trouble remembering from yesterday, <laughs> um, but he was, he was just, he's incredible. Anyway. Um, so, so, you know, uh, Dick was familiar with Michter's. I was familiar with Michter's. Dick knew everybody in Kentucky. Uh, Kentucky was awash with whiskey, you know, way too much whiskey. And, you know, in those days, yeah, there, you know, there were some older whiskeys on the market. There were some high-end whiskeys on the market. That being said, um, demand for, you know, older American whiskey, demand for high-quality, expensive American whiskey was virtually nothing. Um, and, um, and, 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 and when people heard that we were interested, uh, we started with just 10 year plus. Um, when people heard that we wanted to start with 10 year plus, you know, they were, they were, you know, doing the happy dance. They were like, we, we can get rid of this shit. Exactly. Yeah. They, well, yeah. I mean, they, 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 they were just so happy just to offload it. And, 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 and now you know, they're there was like, no market. Dang it. There was no, there was no market for it. And then, and the other thing was when they heard that we wanted to concentrate on rye, they were really happy because <laughs> nobody knew what the you hell to rye, do. We nobody, got plenty of rye. Yeah, nobody <laughs> knew what to do with their rye. Um, and um, that's a bit of an exaggeration, but really there was, there was little to no market for rye. Yeah. Um, and, um, and so, you know, we went around Kentucky. Um, you know, one of the first decisions that we really had to make, and, you know, thank goodness I listened to Dick. Um, you know, one of the first decisions to make was, you know, do you try to go back to Pennsylvania, um, you know, Michter's was actually an abandoned brand. Um, um, you know, at, at the time that we started working on Michter's, um, uh, uh, the brand had had been abandoned, and we just you know filed for it and restarted. Nobody, nobody was making it for years. Nobody was interested in it. Uh, basically, it was on the trash heap of history. Uh, even though it had had a great legacy, you know, there was nobody in Pennsylvania, there was nobody anywhere else that was willing to put time or money into bringing the band brand back and working it. So uh, we decided, you know, let's try to work it. Um, and um, um, you know, we went around. We picked basically we picked a style of whiskey. There's a lot of great whiskey out there, uh, and there's still a lot of great whiskey out there from the various distillers. But we picked a particular style that we really liked a lot. 
And it was a style that we said, okay, God willing, if we're ever in a position to make it ourselves, this is the style we want to pursue. Uh, and that's what we did. So that was phase one. Phase one was whiskey that was totally sourced. We had nothing to do with making it. But it was a style we liked and a style we wanted to emulate. Mm-hmm. Phase two, that was phase one. Phase two, um, basically, um, in the early 2000s, we started working with another Kentucky distiller. Um, uh, it's not a matter of not wanting to be transparent. It's a matter of the fact that this is a quality company that doesn't work with just anybody. Uh, and uh, And I had to... You know, one of the conditions was that I kept it confidential who I was working with. Um, phase two, we technically were still a non-distiller producer, but it was quite different. Uh, in phase two, we were distilling with the same yeast we're distilling with now. We were distilling with the same mash bills we're distilling with now. You know, a certain number of days per year as were Michter's days. Um, barreling at 103 proof, uh, our rye and our bourbon. Um, so, so while, while people could say, well, geez, you know, you guys weren't a distiller in those days in your phase two, um, what I would say we were is like, I, I liken it to, you know, we were like a chef that couldn't afford his own restaurant just yet. Just leasing the still. And went, and, went to, and went to somebody else's, you know, went to somebody else's restaurant when he couldn't afford his own, you know, and used their, you know, was cooking in somebody else's kitchen. Um, so while we were a non-distiller producer, you know, it was all our, you know, all, all our recipes, all our stuff. Um, so, so, so that was, that was the phase two. Um, phase three, um, we reached a point where we did have the money to try to do a distillery the right way. Um, phase three, um, in 2012, we became a licensed distiller where you were sitting right now. Uh, we're in a Shively section of, of Louisville. Uh, we didn't have as much land then. Now we're now up to 12.7 acres. Uh, we have a 67,000 square foot building here that you're in today. Um, but uh, this, this facility became a licensed distillery in 2012. Um, we started with a, a small still, uh, and we were doing our own bottling and our own processing. Um, and then, and then um, uh, it, we, we significantly upped our capacity by putting in uh, what for a little guy is a significant still in 2014. Um, by the time that, um, by the, time that the, the white dog was really ready to barrel and exactly like we wanted it, um, it took us until August of 2015. And that's when we started to barrel. Because what we wanted to do is we wanted to have two things happen. We wanted to make the same whiskey that we were making during phase two with our yeast, our recipes, all that stuff. And basically, we didn't start to barrel until we tweaked the equipment enough so that, so that, that, that you know, the, 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 the gas chromatograph mass spectrometer, basically the chemical fingerprint of our white dog here was the same as the chemical fingerprint of the white dog we were producing in phase two. Um, and the other thing is, even though your GCMS um, uh, can be super tight when you're measuring parts per million, it's like right on. You're over my head. But occasionally, it's funny, the chemical fingerprint may look, may look, this is great. Not often, but once in a while, when you go to taste it, the organoleptic, we, you know, we have a tasting panel here. Of, 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 we, we have several people who are like professionally trained to taste. Um, and... Um, um, occasionally, even though even though the GCMS chemical fingerprint is dead on, occasionally we'll reject stuff because it just it somehow tastes or smells a little bit 
too different. Yeah. You know, we want to maintain a style. So, so it wasn't until, it wasn't that, that both things were, you know, cranking uh, until uh, August 15 that we started to barrel ourselves. And um, as of that time, uh, as, of, as of the end of uh, 2015, uh, we became totally self-sufficient uh, with our own production and our own owned facilities. Here's a business question, I guess. So, uh, please, you know, you're using a, another distillery. Yes. So, how the economies of scale? Obviously, they probably are much bigger, able to produce more. When you go and do it in house, there, is it more expensive, less expensive? Like, yeah. To, why, why? Why even? Why even go? Why even? Because it three? seems like they can probably do it cheaper. Well, well, I mean, honestly, if we wanted to, you know, this this the, it, 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 it's an excellent company. Um, there's a lot of excellent companies here in Kentucky. Um, and, and really, you know, with demand growing for everybody, you know, you know, people needed. They ran out of room own, for you. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. People, no, you know, you, you don't, people, you don't, you people don't. needed that. People, it, it wasn't even a function of, okay, is it going to cost more or is it going to cost less? It's a function of, oh, do we want to keep making whiskey or not? <laughs> right. At that point, you don't hold the keys to your destiny, right? Like yeah. it's exactly. And so, and so, and and, and again, you know, you know, uh, you know, the, you know, it, 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 it's a great company with great people, but um, you know, it, the writing was on the wall that eventually, you know, they had to take care of themselves, right? Absolutely. So I, I kind of want to rewind because I think I have a question about like each one of those phases, right? Sure, so I want to talk about um, you know phase one and just the acquisition of the, the Michters. Um, Brand or label or uh, whatever it is at that time, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. What, 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 what? Please. Well, the uh, I guess the you know you, you're a lawyer. What, what kind of legal hurdles was there to overcome, or was that just something that was just like it's it's for the taking? Like whoever wants it, we, or- we anybody anybody could have anybody could have done it. Like I said, you know, uh, you know, a lot of people are very interested in Michters now. Um, uh, basically, from 1989. Until our team started, you know, you know uh, working the brand, nobody thought it was worth spending any time or any money on. Um, it was an abandoned brand, literally. And um, um, you know, we we did a, we did a due diligence, um, and, um, and and at the end of it, our lawyers, uh, uh, our trademark lawyers at Arnold and Porter in Washington, said, "Look, you know, this is clearly just an abandoned brand. Nobody wants it. Nobody's made it for years." Nobody's using it. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's public domain. I mean, you know, I'm not sure that's the right wording, but whatever it was, you know, anybody can file for it. So, you know, if, if you want to not go knock yourself out, go <laughs> knock yourself out and file for it. Um, so we filed for the abandoned trademark and uh, we restarted the business. I guess another question there is, like, you, you could have created the- – Joe's Bourbon. You could have created a new brand. Like why? Why even, Yoko's. Yeah, yeah. Like why even? Why even restore Michters? Like why not just Michters? You know, I, I was, I was, as I said, you know, I sold Michters in 1978. Mm-hmm. You know, I drank Michters in college. I drank Michters in law school. I drank Michters after law school. Got you through law school. Um, <laughs> exactly. Trust me, I needed to get through law school. Um, and um, um, you know. It, 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 it really, you know, I was very familiar with the history of the brand. Um, I was familiar with the legacy, um, and it just, it, it, you know, it, 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 it really is. I think just, you know, a, a really, a really tremendous American whiskey legacy. It just seemed like a shame to see it, like I said before, in the trash heap of history. 
Yeah, just not ready to close that book, right? You're ready no. to start a new chapter or whatever it is. Yeah, I mean, I mean, so so uh, in, in our team, you know, we we had really good people, you know, working, you know, very hard to try to, you know, reestablish the brand. So let's let's fast forward a little bit to phase three. You yeah. you had the opportunity at this point to start making a distillery, and you know, I guess there's people that they'll be like, oh, I mean, maybe if they revived it, if they took it to like Schaefertown, Pennsylvania. So like, what was the idea of saying like, okay, we want to, we want to keep it in Kentucky. We'll, we'll re, we'll redo everything in Kentucky versus saying, we'll, we'll put it back and, you know, I don't know, maybe we'll, we'll, we'll take a page out of what old Taylor is happening right now and try to just take something that's in ruins and try to, you know, spend a bunch of money to rebuild. Like what was, the, what was the idea the, of, of Kentucky versus Pennsylvania? You know, and, and I got a little bit sidetracked before, but um, one of the important initial decisions, um, you know, that we made in the 90s when we started to work to bring the brand back, one of the key decisions was, you know, do you go back to Pennsylvania, which is a great state, a state with great history, tradi- history of, of whiskey and great tradition and just a great state in general? Do you go back to Pennsylvania um, and restart there or, or, you know, do you go to Kentucky? And Dick Newman was a very, you know, former president of, 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 of Austin Nichols Wild Turkey. Dick was a strong proponent. Dick said, you know, you have the best distillers in the United States in Kentucky. You have the best whiskey resources in Kentucky. Um, and, and there really isn't another place like it, you know. And if you want to ha- make eventually really good stuff, you know, you have to, you know, you want to be one of the best, you have to play with the best. Um, and, you know, uh, fortunately, you know, a- again, you know, uh, uh, you know, Pennsylvania certainly was a, a good option, but um, uh, I'm very happy I listened to Dick. <laughs> That's a good idea. So I also want to talk about because you guys are like in the midst of reviving a few brands right now as well, because you talked about the history of Shanks, uh, Bomb Burgers. Now, some of those bottles are even hitting the market. So kind of yes. talk about that and kind of what that means to uh, either it's, uh, you know, still preserving a legacy of, of this whole family or whatever it is. Yeah, I mean, I mean. Really, you know, Shanks and Bomb Burgers really are, you know, uh, in a certain way, mixed satellite brands. And, you know, and, and as we, as we you know, talked about the history, you know, for years we were talking about uh, Shanks and talking about Bomb Burgers. And, um, you know, we thought it made sense to do uh, Shanks whiskey and a Bomb Burgers whiskey. Because mm-hmm. more labels isn't going to hurt, right? Well, we, I mean... Yes and no. I mean, we, we, we didn't, you know, we haven't done other, you know, whiskey labels, uh, but they're, they're really part of the, part of like the, the Michter's heritage. Mm-hmm. And we thought that, you know, it really went well with the brand. So you know, it was funny you talked about these older vintages and that's what you're really going with. Uh, in one of the, the, the bourbons that are consistently talked about, and it's always, I mean, you, you can't find it anymore, but it's its one of the most highly regarded bourbons out there is your Michter's 25-year rye, right? I mean, that's something that sure. whiskey geese just go crazy for. Sure. So, I mean, talk, talk uh, a little I, I, bit. I do, too. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> talk about stumbling into that one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, like, how, how, how did that come about? Well, that, that ob- to state the obvious, you know, that was stuff from phase one. That was stuff that we sourced that we had no, 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 no part in making it. However, it was rye we really liked. And it was a style of rye that we wanted to uh, you know, pursue. You know, there, there are great 
you know, they're, they're, look, I think one of the great things, I think we're living through another golden age of, of American whiskey right now. There's so much good stuff being made by some really good distillers. You know, uh, I think Kentucky has a, the most amazing distillers, but there are other good distillers, good distillers in other states um, making really good stuff too. Um, but, but, you know, the, our 25-year rye stylistically um, is 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 really stylistically like like the U.S. one rye now, and like our ten-year rye. Um, basically, stylistically, they're 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 clearly you know more Kentucky-style rye. Um, they are not super high rye rye. Spearmint bombs. They're <laughs> not. Yeah, I mean, and 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 those are, those are terrific, wonderful products for what they are. Our style of rye is a bit different. You know, we we our, our rye our rye do have spice. You know, they do have a hint of mintiness, et cetera. But, but you know, they also have, you know, some richness, some sweetness. They, we, we sort of have a house style that we try to pursue. Um, and that 25-year rye really, really has it. But again, you know, it, 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 it's funny. Um, you know, Willie Pratt, who still is with us part-time, our, he was our master distiller and our, he's our master distiller emeritus now. And he's a great guy with a tremendous encyclopedic, encyclopedic knowledge. Um, you know, he used to say that to him, uh, the fork in the road point for a lot of whiskeys was 17 years. And he didn't know why, but you could have two barrels laid down the same day, right next to each other in the same rickhouse. And for some reason, one barrel continued to get better and another one just got like biting in a piece of dry wood, into a piece of dry wood, some, you know, and, and, and he said, never really heard a great scientific explanation for why one's so much better and one got worse. Um, but but the barrels that got older, and, and what we do is, you know, if we feel that a barrel, uh, as stuff gets older, we taste it more frequently. Um, and if we feel that, that, that some barrels are getting, are, are, are going to turn uh, uh, negatively, what we do is we'll actually put them in stainless steel. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know we switch it from one, yeah. switch from one, one, one barrel to one stainless steel container, um, you know. And then if it's if it's 18 years old at that time, as far as TTB is concerned, it is always 18 years old because you took it out of wood. If you keep it 100 years, it's 18 years old. Um, but um, um, you know the, the barrels that we let go uh, and continue to age that long. Um, you know they're they're pretty good and they're really you know if you get a really great whiskey. Um, there's no substitute for age, and I know I know people are doing all sorts of wonderful, you know, all sorts of wonderful technology and interesting things and interesting ideas, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, uh, to try to uh, you know a- a- age things more quickly. Um, but when you get a really great whiskey that's been aged a long time, you will get layers of complexity mm-hmm. that you know you just don't really get that often, and and that that I think is one of the hallmarks of our 25 year rye. It, 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 I mean. I, I adore the stuff. Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point of sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in-line and online. 
Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon, the farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S.com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. Well, speaking of Raya, let's grab a Raya that we have sitting Absolutely. right here. Let's, let's talk. I mean, we've done enough talking. Let's drink a little bit. Right? Yeah, I, th- I think it's time to drink. So, um, so and what we, what we have here, um, the first thing that we have here uh, for today for tasting for our special guests um, is, it, this is Michter's US1 Rye. This is bottling proof. So both are bottling proof. Both were laid down uh, at the same time. But the difference is the one at the left um, was laid down, was, was, the entry proof was 103 proof. The, the, the white dog was put in the barrel at 103 proof. The one at the right, the white dog was put into the barrel at 125 proof. And we take, you know, our, our goal at Michter's, whether we're doing it or not, our goal that we come to work every day to try to achieve is to make the greatest American whiskey. And part of that is barreling our rye and our bourbon at 103 proof. And, and the, the, the reason for this is to taste the same product at the same commercial bottling proof, but again, to notice the difference between one that was about 103 versus 128. And I see that you enjoyed that. Hun- yeah, that you enjoyed the 103 so you, yeah. you, may wanna, you may want to keep this for, your, take mine for the comparison. <laughs> for comparison. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but even if you knows the two, I, th- I think you guys will probably notice a difference. And, and there's a reason. You know, barreling, you know, Willie said that when he started in the 1960s, the highest quality bourbons were barreled at 103 proof, in his opinion. And, um, and he said, you know, Joe, if we can afford to do it, let's barrel at 103 proof. Because if you barrel at 103 proof, you will get a richer whiskey with more flavor and less burn yeah. than you will I'm if you barrel at 125. I'm a fan of 103. Yeah, I mean, Actually, it's, I think it's 103 was better than 125. Yeah, yeah it, it, and again, they're both, they're both not the same proof. But, you know, the, the, you know if, you're, if, you, if you're 103 proof, say after six years, you know, you're going to be around 110 proof or so. Um, um, let's say you started 125 proof. After six years, you know you could be 140 proof, 138, 140 proof. Now, 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 you know you want to make a you know, hypothetically, just keep it simple. You want to make a nice uh, uh, 90 proof bottled whiskey to sell on the market. You know, one of them you have to add a lot more last minute water to go to from 140 to 90 than you do to go from 110 to 90. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of water that hasn't the benefit so of interacting change. with the wood. And yes, and and I am. Um, you know, I, I am not, you know, our, our, our master of maturation, uh, Andrea Wilson, uh, has, has, you know, advanced degrees in chemistry and nobody ever accused me of having them. Uh, <laughs> uh, stuff goes way, way, way over my head. But basically, you know, there's also, there's a chemical,
chemical explanation why when there's a little bit more water uh, in the barrel, so and there is a little more water in the barrel at 103 rather than 125 entry proof, that you actually have better interaction with the sugars right. in the wood. And um, so you also have a, a, a barrel strength version of this too. Yes. Right? Yes. That's, yes. In fact, we have that today. Yes. Yeah, so that's what I'm, I'm pulling up right now. So yeah, that, that, would be the, that, would be the, that would be the bottom, that would be the bottom right mm-hmm. on your tasting that. And the, um, the barrel strength rye, um, we came out with this because we would, you know, taste stuff out of the barrel and we say, damn, that's good. Yeah. Uh, it's like, wouldn't we like to be able Everything to drink this Everything comes at home? out of the barrel, you're like. <laughs> um, yeah. And so, and so, but th- this is, this is our US-1 rye. This is our US-1 rye um, uh, just put out at, at, at barrel strength. Um, What's an average age on something like this? And it's a, it's are, a are blend. Are, 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 well, uh, well. Or is actually, this a no, single no, barrel? This, no, our, our, rye, our, our, our US-1 rye is a single barrel product. Okay. Um, and, and, um, you know, we don't, first of all, it's a non-age statement whiskey. That's number one. Number right. two, um, we basically- I'm, I'm, I'm trying to plug information out of you here, right? Yeah, no, no, well, no, I'm, I'm, no I'm, get, I'm, get, I'm, getting, I'm, get, I'm getting to it, but, you know, you know sometimes, sometimes, sometimes a quick answer is not the most accurate right. one. Right. Um, and I want to try to be accurate That's here. the lawyer. Um, <laughs> so, so what, you know, one of the things about Michter's, and, and I think that, you know, is that, you know, we release basically our master distiller is a gatekeeper for the quality, and we don't. You know, we. You know, I give my opinion. We have a tasting panel that gives its opinion. That being said, the ultimate gatekeeper who has the ultimate decision about whether or not to release something is our master distiller. You know, Willie had it, and now Pam has it, and they both take, took the Pam. Willie took it very seriously, and Pam takes it very seriously. And basically, we don't release something because it's an exact age. You know, we're not we're not a just in time company. We're not run by a deal group. Um, you know, it's not four years in a day you release the damn thing. Um, um, you know, or ten years in a day you release it as ten year old. Uh, basically, if we feel that that it's going to be better for what it is with a little more time, you know, another year or two, we'll keep it. So, our, our, I I would say typically, I would say typically our US one rye. Um, you know, typically has been running, um, uh, with, with some exceptions, it's typically been running, you know, I'd say roughly around five and a half years old to six to six and a half years old. Still uh, a know, solid we, age. We, 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 yeah. we, released, we released seven years. We've released, you know, we've had, we've had, we've had, you know, US-1 rise that are, that are, you know, eight years old um, or, or just a shade under eight years old. Um, uh, it really depends on, you know, when the barrels are ready. Um, but but I would say I would say average is probably around six, right? Roughly. So so when I'm looking at all these different ryes, I'm looking at uh, well, I mean two two that have labels on them. The other two were just like uh, we're kind of just the proof to well the, the, the other. This is our US one ryes. Oh US one. Okay. This is yeah, our, yeah. The, these are our US one ryes. The one look the one that you tasted, the one that was entered barrel entry at 103 proof. That is that is what you would buy in a store. Right. Okay. The 125 was just a hey thanks for coming by kind mm-hmm. of thing, right? Well, no, the one the one twenty five is so you can so you can Compare. taste the sharpness. I mean, okay. I mean, there's 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 more sharpness and more alcohol, even though they're the same proof, even though the same bottling proof. There's more sharpness and more alcohol, um, and less richness proof. and less richness when the entry proof is higher. There's a re- this is you know we do a lot of as I said our goal at Michter's whether we're doing it or not is to make the greatest American whiskey, and and basically you know. We uh, we don't really spare anything when it comes to cost of goods sold. Mm-hmm. You know, ba- our, our our mandate is if there's anything 
that we know to do to make the whiskey better, don't worry about your cost of goods sold. We can't, you know, we can't afford a $50 million marketing campaign, but when it comes to cost of goods sold, you know, we take all these different steps and, you know, you know, our barrels for our, for our US-1 bourbon, our barrels for our US-1 rye, you know, before they're made into a Michter's barrel, um, we want the wood to be air-dried outside 18 months. Well, that's new. That's that new is information ex- for that me. That is expensive. Yeah. That, that, that increases the expense of the barrel a lot when you want it outdoor seasoned, you know, let alone 18 months. Uh, you, know, you know, we work with barrels, that are, that, that, but, but that, that's on the U.S. one. Um, you know, our barrels, um, I, I can show you later on with the staves, which I think Andrea took away, but— It's okay. Um, I think she showed um, us last time. But, yeah, but, but, you know, if you take a look, you know, we, our barrels are also toasted— before they're charred. In American rye, bourbon must be a first juice barrel that's been that's been charred. But you don't have to toast it. That's an extra step that you pay more for. We toast it before you char because we feel that the toasting prepares the wood for better concentration of the sugars during charring. And, and, and you can actually see the red line in the wood. You can see a, a major difference in the red line in the wood if you if you Toast before you char versus if you only char. You know, there's all these technical things. You know, there, there was a period um, recently when there was a real wood shortage and barrel shortage in the United States. We had no trouble getting, Mictors had no trouble getting barrels. And we had no trouble getting barrels because a Mictors barrel is so damn expensive. You know, and you know, like, they, yeah, sure, we'll, and, we'll make them and, for and, you. And, 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 no, yeah. And, and look, look, basically, if you had a limit, if you had a limited amount of steel, you know, I mean, they're, they're both great cars, but let's say, let's say you're a manufacturer, you have a limited amount of steel, you know, would you rather use a limited amount of steel to make a Volkswagen or to make a Porsche? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, you'd rather make a Porsche because your margin's going to be better. And, and, and a, a Mictus barrel is a Porsche barrel. Um, so it makes, me, so, it makes me realize that when you go buy a car, you can't get anything without all the bells and whistles. <laughs> you got to have, you got to have the leather seats, mm-hmm. the, the heated seats and all that sort of good stuff. Right. So. That's hey, what I'm, that's why, what I'm, that's why what I'm not? Why not? Yeah. <laughs> why not? So why not? The Yellow. La- yeah. <laughs> so the last one I have over here is is the ten year rye, right? So kind of talk about what what was the reasoning behind putting the age dated one out versus uh, just going with your straight, um, you know, your US one or having your barrel proof or anything well, the, like the, that. The, the, fir- the first two the first two Kentucky mixers that uh, when we were restarting the brand. The, the first two Kentucky mixers were mixers uh, uh, Kentucky straight rye. I mean, and all, all our rye, by the way, since we've been involved, all our rye has been Kentucky straight rye, and all our bourbon has been Kentucky straight bourbon. Um, the, um, um, the, we wanted to go with 10 years because, again, we wanted something, we wanted to really make a statement and signal that, you know, this is quality stuff. Uh, and it was super quality stuff. Um, again, you taste the 25-year rye, it's aged pretty damn well. Um, and, um, um, you know, it, it, we, we, were, you know we, were, we were just trying to, like, make really good whiskey and show that American whiskey, you know, uh, we, wanted, we wanted to have whiskey that was well-matured and flavorful. Mm-hmm. That was sort of what we were trying to do, and that's what. We were, and again, like I said, we were hoping, you know, not that it was going to be, a, not that it was still a very little brand, um, but we, we were hoping that there would be a, a segment, a small segment of the market that would appreciate it and, and buy it. 
and I think you're, it mm-hmm. doesn't sit on the shelves. So no. yeah, I think I don't think that's a problem. Yeah. So let's. Uh, so we, we've we've talked a little bit about the rye. I kind of move over to the bourbon. Sure. And the uh, the first thing I want to talk about the bourbon is probably the 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 unicorn of them all from you, and that's the celebration, right? And okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna put you in the hot seat a little bit. Sure, why not? So how do we, how do we go about justifying a, a four thousand or five thousand dollar price tag on it? Look, you know, one of the things that you know Willie and I, when we were first you know talking about this, um, there are amazing spirit products all from all over the world. Um, amazing quality, amazing packaging, et cetera. Um, you know, that being said, you know, I, I, I've been, I, you know, you go look at a catalog like Wally's in uh, Christmas time in Los Angeles. You will see spirits from other countries for $50,000 a bottle. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll see scotches, wonderful scotches for, you know, tens of thousands of dollars. You'll see, you'll see, see other great spirits from other countries for, you know, amazing amounts of money, and, you know, and, and, and they're fantastic products. You know, Willie and I said, you know, um, we actually think that the best American stuff could be as good as the best stuff from anywhere in the world. And, and so we set out to try to produce something that we thought was really, really, really exceptional. Um, and, you know, when you take, for example, our 2016 celebration, you know, we, we had access to over 30,000 barrels that we own. We selected whiskey from six barrels out of 30,000. So, I mean, that, uh, and, and were, that puts, a, that puts and, a price tag on your time. And they were, and they were, they were, and they were, they were you know, they're really pick of the litter barrels. But one of the other things that's really interesting and, you know, I, I've seen this over time. You know, you could have two bourbons that are really good. You know, this bourbon A is really good. Bourbon B is very good. You mix them together, the mix is worse than either one of them. You could have two great ryes you put together, the mix doesn't go very well. For some reason, certain things don't blend well together, even though they're independently very good. So it's not just a matter of finding something that that is that is really wonderful and something else wonderful and you put it together there really is an art to blending because you have to find stuff that's terrific but when you put it together is even better um, so th- there's that part of the art now the other thing um, is just that you know we you know we used aged stocks you know uh, and and, and uh, it's a non-age statement whiskey but you know, uh, um, you know, our, our youngest stuff was over 10 years old, and we had whiskey in there that was 32 years and 11 months old. You know, so Which there's, is there's, there's very, a lot, very rare to yeah, find. Yeah, there's a lot of 32-year-old, 32-year, uh, 11-month-old whiskey around. Um, and, and, you know, we think that the, you know, we, we think that the result was uh, very, very good. Um, it, it, it flew when we released it. Uh, uh, it just sold really, really well. Um, you know, I, you know, you can't I, say no to that, right? I, no, 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 no. And 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 people, you know, a lot of people seem to, uh, a lot of people seem to appreciate it. I mean, we we we've seen it at, you know, we've seen it in wonderful on-premise places. You know, I've seen it for over seventeen hundred dollars a shot. On-premise. Oh, I know. It's I've, I've, so so. You know, and and crazy. so you know, and so so. Look, you know, for somebody for somebody that you know wants something, you know, rare and world-class. Um, and I think it really, really is a very, very special whiskey. Um, um, 
and and for somebody who wants something that's rare and world class, and you know, and 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 you know, wants to spend the money on it as a luxury, uh, you know, I, I think it's great stuff. Right, I and that's. I mean, and you're not geared towards the the casual bourbon buyer with that either, right? I mean, the the packaging that goes into it is phenomenal. Like the the gold yeah, uh, the pa- emblems and everything that goes onto it, right? I mean, it's definitely the, the geared pa- towards. Yeah, the, pa- the packaging alone is quite expensive. Right. Um. But 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 the the whis- the whiskey is. Re- I I think the whiskey is truly extraordinary, um, and. Um, um, you know, and look, the the one, you know, the uh, the whiskey I probably drink the most, uh, 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 the Michters I probably drink the most myself, the whiskey, the Michters that Willie you know, drinks the most himself is our U.S. one bourbon, you know, which is uh, our recommended retail in the U.S. is forty eight dollars a bottle, um, and and um, you know, quite honestly, we put as much care and we worry as much about U.S. one bourbon as we do about celebration. Um, you know, uh, you know, a- a- anything Michter's, we want it to be for what it is, really, really, really good. Mm-hmm. Or else we won't release it. So I, I always, it's just funny, I had a comment about that because I watched the uh, the news segment when you're on with the, the Fast Money people. Okay. And I saw you and you you open up a brand new bottle of Celebration. Yes. And it's, I mean, and when you're on live TV on a national uh, publication, I mean, like, you've got to get everything you've got to do in like two minutes, right? Like, it's that's about your time. And it was just, I, I, I remember... You pouring her as part of this celebration, and it's just like, oh great, now we're off to commercial. I was like, I was like, oh, I felt so bad. I was like, she never really like understood or appreciated like what she had in her glass. It felt like, but it was, uh, it was, it was just, I just watched it, and I was just like, man, there was so many people that would just love to be in her footsteps right yeah, now. Yeah, look, I, I, I was, I was thrilled, I was thrilled to be on there, and uh, I was also fortunate to be on uh, uh, Power Lunch as well. Um, and um, um, I, I think they like the stuff, actually. Yeah. Uh, uh, but but uh, it, 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 was, it was a terrific experience to be on there. So, you know, you talk to Pam uh, quite a lot. So, like, what, what's the time frame right now of when you're looking to start releasing your own distillate? I mean, is there a, is there a roadmap? Or when, is when, it- when people ask me, you know, when, 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 you know, visitors say to me, I can't wait to taste the stuff that you're, you know, producing uh, at, at your shop. Facility, we call this distillery M2 and we call Fort Nelson M1. Um, um, I said, Well, you know, what you should do is you should buy a bottle of, go to a store, buy a bottle of US1 bourbon or rye, or buy a bottle of 10 year bourbon or rye, and, uh, you know, that's exactly what it's going to taste like. Right. Because again, you know, we didn't start until the white dog, you know, uh, uh, you know, chemical fingerprint was right on with the stuff we were producing before and until the taste of the white dog was right on and the nose of the white dog was right on. So um, it, it should be very, very similar to, uh, um, it should be identical to what we have right, right. now. And, and I guess that, that also goes in with the aging aspect, right? I mean, do you guys have your own on, on-house or on-site aging that you're doing or we, when you were we, sourcing, yes, were you yes. aging here too? So it we, should be we, relatively we, we, similar. We have, we, we have, um, yeah, we, um, we, we have heat cycling here. Um, you know, if you go through, uh, if you go through our warehouse, um, you know, at, at strategic points so we can measure the temperature in the barrel. We measure the whiskey, uh, measure the temperature of the whiskey in the barrel. Uh, we measure barrels at strategic points so we get a sense of, like, this part of the warehouse, what's the temperature of the liquid inside. We have a probe that goes inside. It's attached to a thermometer um, um, that has a USB port. Our people have have have. Wait, your barrels have USB ports. 
no. <laughs> I thought you were about to say no, I was like, that's no, awesome. The no, there's a probe that goes in okay. to the liquid. And not every barrel, but again, strategically placed so we can tell like, the, the barrels in this area, the liquid is, you know, 78 degrees. The barrels in this area, it's 90 degrees, whatever it is. Um, uh, but 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 uh, there's a there's a USB port attached to the probe, and our people um, actually um, um, you know go go with an electronic uh, contraption. They hook it up to the USB port, and that records at that date at that time, you know what you know what was the temperature of the liquid in that barrel, and so we have a sense of okay, the barrels in this part of the warehouse at this temperature, we heat cycle, um, and that's and when you heat cycle, what you do is. Uh, when it's cold outside, um, you actually heat up uh, the warehouse uh, for a period of time. Uh, and then after you heat up the warehouse, um, you, uh, you, open the, you, op- you open everything up and, and, and let the hot air out um, and cool down the barrels. And really, it, it, it's, 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 it's temperature change that really uh, makes the air at the top of the barrel, the barrels on its side, there's air at the top of the barrel, when it gets hot, the air expands and it squeezes the liquid into the wood. Uh, when it gets colder, the air at the top contracts. There's less pressure, so some of the liquid the comes much back pressure, out. Pressure, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and exactly. And, and so, and so, um, you know, uh, in Kentucky, they call that in and out a cycle, and that happens naturally in Kentucky several times a year. Kentucky. One of the great things about Kentucky, um, it, it, obviously, the limestone shelf, which makes great water for dis- distilling great whiskey. But aside from that, one of the other things that be great about Kentucky is that it has very changeable weather. Um, and 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 the theory is that when it comes we'll to bourbon American rye, that 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 that's actually an advantage because uh, it's a temperature change that makes the whiskey sort of go soak in and out of the barrel and expose it more to the red line. So we induce extra cycles through our heat cycling. Now heat cycling is expensive to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're not the only. But you and mixers don't take any. You, you don't. No, yeah, we don't. You'll throw any expense at it. So and and and, and, the thing, you know, and when you heat cycle, when you heat cycle, you get a significantly higher angel share of evaporation. Mm-hmm. You know, so when you go to empty the barrel out, you don't have as many bottles, but. Uh, it, you know, we think it tastes better. Right. So let's talk a little bit about the bourbon that we are drinking right here. So we sure. have the, the US-1 small batch bourbon. US-1 small batch bourbon. Um, our small batches are really small batches. Um, uh, there's no legal definition is, that I am aware of of small batch in the it United States. It could be two States. barrels. It could be 2,000 barrels. Doesn't really matter. Correct. And, um, and, and But one thing that uh, we did here, you know, Pam and Willie and me, we sized our batching equipment, uh, and, and I could show you later on, um, our, our batching tanks are 1,100 wine gallons, 1,100 liquid gallons. And basically, that means that basically they can hold the contents of 20 full barrels, not more. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, you know, uh, we wanted our small batches for quality control to be very small. Um, and, you know, if you have, you know, I don't care how great a distillery you are, you know, once in a while you get a barrel that's a little bit musty. Once in a while you get a barrel that's a, that, that that that's a little overly woody. Got some funk. Got some funk to it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And you know, and, and that that happens to everybody. Um, you know, if you have some funky barrels and you mix them in a big lot, they'll kind of get lost. It may influence it a little bit. They get they get lost. If you have one barrel that's not right, you know, in a batch of twenty, it is horrible. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's really bad. So our, our people know that if, if, if things aren't right, they can't use it. 
Right. So, so it enforces a certain, you know, uh, uh, production discipline. Um, and, and, but, but, you know, th- this is, this is our, our U.S. one bourbon is, it's barrel and en- barrel entry proof, 103 proof. That is the single most expensive thing we do entering at 103 versus 125 proof. It's more expensive than, than, than heat cycling a product is. I don't know anybody, uh, maybe there's somebody, but I don't, I'm not aware of anybody, um, uh, uh currently, um, that's entering, you know, their, 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 you know, standard stuff at 103 proof. Right. Um, uh, but the, the but, only other person that I know is doing low is Wild Turkey, but they're not even at 103 if, as far as I remember. So okay, yeah, I mean, I'm, Wild Turkey's like I said, Jimmy's. Oh, I, I adore Jimmy. It's it's a fantastic product. Um, I'm not aware of what their entry proof is. Right. Um, and, I'd, have to, I'd have to dig in yeah. my archives, but I, I can't think about it right now. But I, I kind of want to move on to the yeah. the ten year, right? Because I mean, yeah. that, that's yeah. uh, and the ten year ha- has a has a great historic past to it, right? I mean. Um, yeah, you know, you can you can do all kinds of sleuthing, and uh, wherever it was sourcing from before, uh, I mean, everybody talked about it was just probably one of the best bourbons you can possibly get on the market because it was even greater than ten years uh, back when Correct. you could get it in. 2010, 2011, back Correct. then, right? Uh, and then it, it, I think it switched around 2015, but it's still a phenomenal bourbon, no matter which way you yeah, put it. Yeah, and 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 again, you know, we we don't release it because it's ten year and a day old. You know, it 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 typically it tip. I mean, to be honest, with you, I don't know the exact age of the one that we have right now, but but you know, you know, we'll release you know we'll release you know twelve year old, release older stuff as as ten year bourbon. You know, if we think you know, there's a story, you know, years ago how Willie got his nickname Doctor No, and um, um, you know, we had been two years with no ten year bourbon on the market, um, and. Um, Steve Ziegler, who's who's been with me since the '90s when we were restarting Mictors, Steve Ziegler runs our sales, and um, Willie had, you know, Willie had had really good. I mean, really good. Like I think it was close to 11 year old bourbon. He wouldn't release this 10 year old because he said another year or two is gonna be amazing. Um, and you know, Steve, the sales guy who'd been out of, you know, 10-year bourbon for two years, you know, and having accounts hammer him, you know, where is it? You know, said his sales forces hammer him. He said, Willie, you know, you're blankety-blank Dr. No all the time and, you know, and, and, and just threw a fit. And, um, you know, shortly after, the, when we, and, and Willie eventually released it uh, about, uh, over a year later, and Willie released it. And, you know, New York Magazine did a blind tasting of 12 bourbons. I believe it was 12. And um, really good products. And um, in the blind tasting, you know, Michter's 10-year finished, finished first. And, um, you, know, Steve, you know, Steve sent Willie uh, a copy of the article uh, and just, you know, Willie, congratulations. And Willie sent him back the same exact article uh, with his writing on it, Steve, this is why we wait. Yeah. So, um, you know, there's, there's, but, 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 you know, we, 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 you know, as I said, you know, uh, uh, and now, now the gatekeeper, you know, the new, new one in the Dr. No position here is, uh, Pam Heilman, who's terrific. Mm-hmm. Have you met Pam? I have not. We still have to get Pam on the podcast at some point. I yeah, think it'll happen. It'll happen soon. Yeah. Pam, Pam, Pam is really wonderful. You know, when, when Willie and I, you know, we were, you know, we knew that eventually Willie wanted to go to a flexible schedule. And, you know, when we were searching for um, a master distiller, we went to a bunch of people we respected in the industry and uh, for a future master distiller for succession. And we said, you know, okay, who are the four best American distillers? And Pam was on everybody's list. 
Um, you know, she uh, she worked directly with Jerry Dalton when he was master stiller at Beam. Um, and for, I think, roughly her last eight years there, um, she ran Booker No, the largest bourbon distillery in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and she's she's really, she's fantastic. She's really detailed. She's really quality driven. That's awesome. I mean, it, it, she, it, it, the funny thing is, you know, especially during this time when there's a revitalization of, of women in the industry and she was doing it uh, for such a long time. And it's, it's great that she has that honor now and uh, being able to uh, have the privilege of, of being able to be a master distiller here at, at Mictors as well. So the, the last one I want to talk about is this one that is a, a limited release, um, kind of just started coming around at the at the the bourbon affair, and that's the the Michter's Barrel Strength Bourbon, right? So talk, yeah, and, talk and this, about this, the idea this, here. This is a real, this is a really limited release. Um, this is only being released in Kentucky. Um, this is the first time we've ever released it. Um, basically, this is my first time ever trying it, so I'm excited. <laughs> so, yeah, well, I'm, I'm really glad you're trying it. And I hope, and I hope oh God, t- tasting live is a bit dangerous. I hope you no, like I think, it. I think you'll uh, be safe. But, um, um, you know, we, you know, the Kentucky Stillers Association is a really good group. It's, it's a great group of companies and it's very well run. And they run the Kentucky Bourbon Affair, which is a special thing. And, you know, and, and, and we got some feedback from them, some feedback from some of our visitors. And they basically said, you know, it would be great if you guys could do a special release uh, in honor of the Kentucky Bourbon Affair when people come visit and stuff like that. And, um, and you know, Pam really likes barrel strength stuff. Um, and so uh, she thought that this might work really, really well. And this is our U.S. 1 bourbon at, at barrel strength. Um, and uh, so it really was done, you know, to commemorate, you know, the Kentucky Bourbon Affair in honor of our home state. Um, I would love to sell this everywhere. You know, right now, Mictors is selling around the U.S. We're selling in over 40 countries. Uh, and, and, you know, we're very, very proud, you know, Drinks International, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, picked us as, you know, one of the you know, top trending American whiskey brands internationally and, and, and in the U.S. And, um, um, but, this 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 is a really really special whiskey. The, the the reason that we're not selling it, you know, more outside Kentucky, and the reason this is just a special sort of little thing for the in honor of the Kentucky Bourbon Affair, and again in our home state, is just because we are so short in goods. I mean, we are allocating everything that we make, um, and and you know, in every every bottle of this. You know that we release is 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 you it's know probably is, two is, to two to three less bottles of the uh, of the irregular US not one. not quite but you know but it's, it's it's less that we have to sell the other that is that is really our US our US one bourbon our US one rye now have to be allocated and you know uh, we're in a short supply situation given you know compared to demand and and the other thing too is you know one thing that we haven't done is you know we've we've even when we didn't have our own distiller you know we didn't just you know, fill in with stuff that we, you know, we, we, we wanted to have a certain style uh, and maintain that. We want to make sure that we maintain the quality. So we'd rather run out than, you know, come out with stuff that's not right. But let's taste. Yeah. Cheers to this, Joe. Appreciate Cheers. it. Thank you so much. It is good. Yeah, it's good. It is good. And, I, I, I and, was so, and so I guess a good question is, you know, Barreled at 103. What's what's the proof that this is coming off at then and bottling? I, uh, well, it, it, again, it, it it varies from barrel to barrel. It's a single barrel product. It varies from barrel to barrel. This particular barrel 
is 110.6. So 110.6. That's that's awesome. I mean, it's, it's I think it's 10.6. It's really good. Uh, very and if you full add, if you add, I, I should give you a little bit more. <laughs> I'm not going to say no to it. Just a, but, but, a little but, bit more. But, just to, just to add a tiny bit of water. Um, I can do that. Add a cap full here. I was, I was at Larry from Silver Dollar yesterday, who was just oh amazing. yeah, he's a good guy. I mean, Larry's an amazing mixologist, and he also just is brilliant in terms of breaking down whiskeys. I mean, he he he's such a talented guy. Um, and he said, Joe, put a little bit of water in it, and you can almost start to smell pecans and some other stuff going on. Yeah, there so, is. There is. There's. Yeah. There's some more stuff that does happen, right? I wasn't. You know, when we were going through this, I'm more or less trying to think of questions and good questions to ask, rather than trying to think of, of good tasting notes. But yeah, yeah, it's definitely. It's definitely got some some more characteristics that are thrown into it, and that's that is that's fantastic. So I kind of want to start wrapping this up a little bit and Please. kind of finishing up some some Please. good questions here. So what's the uh, what's the future looking like for Mictris right now? Um, whether it's expansion, whether it's uh, line expansions of the barrel strength. I mean, what what are you kind of seeing as on the the the, the short horizon for you, you right know, now? Look, we 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 are, you know, we're about we're about you know, good good American whiskey. Um, you know, uh, uh, we have different things that we experiment with and try from time to time. Um, you know, some of them, uh, some of them are disappointing. We don't release them. Um, some are really, really great, you know, so maybe we'll do a special release or this or that, but we're, we're always looking, you know, we're always looking at stuff, but basically our, our bread and butter, um, is to continue, you know, the style that we're making. I mean, we, 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 you know, we, we like the stuff that we're doing, um, and, um, and, you know, it, it's maintaining the quality. And, you know, one of the things here that we're really lucky about is the people. We have, you know, we have a really, really, we, we have people that care about quality. Did you actually know I have a, a cousin-in-law that works for you, too? I had no idea. Yeah, we'll, that? we'll talk about that a little bit okay. afterwards, right, right? Yeah. But uh, it's, uh, I, I think that, you know, of the people that I know here at Mictors, I think what you're putting out is a quality product. Um, definitely always excited every year when I can get that phone call from, uh, you know, my local liquor store. It says like, hey, we got the Mictors 10-year Ryan for you. Like, Excellent. come and get it, right? Yeah, it's like, it's one of my favorites that, that I, I love. And of course, I think the barrel strength rye has kind of really got me hooked on uh, a lot of that stuff too. And I'm glad Thank to see you. that there's a possible barrel strength bourbon that's going to be available in Kentucky for a very short period of time, limited. Yeah. You know, we'll kind of see what happens with it. But I think it's a it's a very strong future um, about that. You know, for anybody that. Uh, has been listening to this podcast for a, a while. You know, we've I've been talking to Joe now for probably close to a year uh, after we had Andrea on the show uh, a long time ago, trying to figure out like when are you gonna be back in Kentucky? Like, and it finally happened, right? So I'm I'm super glad that you took the time out of your day to, I, to join I am, us. I am thrilled, Kenny. I'm thrilled to be here with you and Ryan. It's great. Yeah, it's this great. Is, I, mean, I, I I've listened to your podcast and they're great and they're great and they really, I mean, just so much good information and and they're interesting. Well, good. Uh, again, thank you for coming on as guest today. It was a pleasure to uh, finally meet you, uh, hear your story. You know, we, we, like I said, we didn't, we don't really get a whole lot of the business side. And, you know, we, we get the Andrews, we get the Pams and we get them, talk to them all the time. But, you know, yours is a very unique side. Uh, being able to understand uh, a lot of the, the decisions and the rationale that go into this is just not, it's just not gut instinct. It's just not science, right? It's, it's actual business and thought and all this other kind of stuff that goes into making a, a healthy company too, right? So, right. No, thank you so much. So awesome. So if you like what you hear, make sure 
you, uh, you know, support us and and follow us on Instagram, social media with uh, uh, Facebook and Inst- uh, Instagram already said, uh, as well as Twitter. And also share the podcast. You know, there's a lot of people that are getting into bourbon. They're drinking a bourbon. Maybe they're going out and they're buying their first bottle of uh, Michter's US1 bourbon. And you say, you know, you got to listen to these guys called Bourbon Pursuit. They've they put out some great podcasts, a lot of good knowledge to share. So spread it through word of mouth. That's great. And you can also... Uh, write us a good review on iTunes. Those iTunes reviews go a long way on keeping us the number one podcast in bourbon. Uh, if you like what you hear, also, if you want to see more other guests, send us an email, the duo at bourbonpursuit.com. We're also looking for partnerships. So go to bourbonpursuit.com. Look at the tab at the top called partnerships. Uh, we're looking for people to help support the show to keep this going. So with that, Joe, again, thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. It was great. a pleasure. And we will see you all next week. Mm-hmm.